0: about our church, why are we here? Why do we exist as a church? What is our, our purpose? What is our function? Okay, and this is our purpose as generation church. We've gone through this the last, last two weeks. Growing the family of God from one generation to the next. Can y'all say that with me? Do we have that on the screen? We can, we can help everybody out. Growing the family of God from one generation... Let's try it again. Growing the family of God... From one generation to the you've got it. That is why we're here. Week one, we talked about growth. We exist as a church so you can grow spiritually. Help me, help me out. Take a neighbor. Grow up. All right. <laughs> Some of y'all got a little too, too enthusiastic about that. But uh, we should, all of us, should be growing spiritually. There is no point where we have arrived. There is no graduation for Christianity. That's called you dead. Okay? Until you're dying breath, you should be growing and maturing spiritually. And then last week we talked about family. I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is the church is your family. Ephesians 2.19 says this, therefore you are no longer strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Isn't that wonderful? You belong to a family, the household of God. When you accept Jesus, you are adopted into God's family. The good news is that the church is your family. The bad news is that the church is your family. You're stuck with us, okay? We're all in this thing together, the body of Christ. And whether you like it or not, we are all family. And here's the thing about family. You don't get to pick your family. You're born into your family. Am I right? Family is family. I'm so tired of disposable relationships. We are in this thing for eternity. Your fellow Christians are your spiritual family, so you better treat them right. Am I perfect in this? No. Are you perfect in this? No. Okay? But God is calling us to grow in our love for one another. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 10, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. Amen? family of God, we ought to love one another. We've got a sign on Oak Forest and then down there towards Summit Road that says many cultures, one family. Okay, that's kind of, we we live by that generation church. We are many cultures, but we're one family in Christ. Okay, we might not all vote alike or look alike or act alike or think alike on everything, but we are one family. I was talking to a guy yesterday who was telling me that he doesn't think Krispy Kreme donuts are that good. And you know what I said out loud? I said, many cultures, one family, many cultures, one family, many cultures. He's still my brother in Christ. He's still my brother in Christ. (laughs) <laughs> Come on, say that. Many cultures, one family. So when you find yourself in disagreement with somebody, use that. Many cultures, one family. We might not have to agree on everything, but we agree on the main thing, that Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen. And everything comes secondary. Doesn't matter if you drive a Chevy or a Ford, pull for Duke Carolina, but if you pull for Duke, I'll pray for <laughs> The Bible says, comfort the brokenhearted. <laughs> Let me get back on track. <laughs> Many cultures, one family, one family, one family. Growing the family of God from one generation to the next. Why are we here? For the next generation. We must live and work as if Jesus is coming back today, but we must plan prayers as if he's coming back in the next generation. You know, our God is a generational God. He wasn't just the God of Abraham in the Old Testament, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a generational God. In the New Testament, it wasn't just the faith of Timothy. It was the faith of Lois and Eunice and Timothy, the passing down from the generations. Our God is a generational God, and he's calling us to be a generational church. Always been God's plan. Psalm 145 One generation shall praise your works to another and declare your mighty acts. I want you to look at our church logo for a minute. If y'all got that up there in the, in the media booth, in the command center up there. You got the big graphic up right there? If not, I'll go to the photographic. Look at this. See, everybody see? it? you can't see, I'll describe it to you. You got the cross right here, and you got a little leaf and a big leaf. What does that represent? That represents young and old growing together. You see that? I don't understand why church is often a battle between young people and old people when both groups really need each other. And I know we don't have any old people in our church, but we're just all young people. But <laughs> Amen. Think about this. When the Israelites were pounding the Amalekites in the, in the valley of Rephidim, Moses... Needed Joshua. He needed the young man down in the valley fighting the enemy, but Joshua needed the elder Moses on the mountain to hold up his staff because it took both of them together for God to bring the victory. And that's missing in so many churches. The key to victory defeating the enemy is you got to have a bunch of Moseses and Joshua's. You got to have some elders of the faith holding up the standard. And you got to have some young men and women of the faith fighting the enemy on the front lines. We all need each other. Come on, tell somebody, I need you and you need me. So let's get on with the training, <laughs> Listen, that's why we're called generation church. Singular, not generations. Why? Because God has no grandchildren. In the kingdom of God, we're all part of that same generation. When Jesus told His disciples, this generation will not pass away until I come back. What is He talking about? He's talking about the church, the body of Christ. If you're saved, come on, tell somebody, I'm that generation. First Peter 2.19 says, you are a chosen a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people—some more than others—that you should show forth the praises of them who have called you out of darkness into this marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We are that chosen generation. Come on to somebody. That's my generation. There's a principle that God's established, and this is is the whole point of my message today, that I want us to understand as a church family, a clear pattern of how to pass our faith from one generation to the next. God's plan is for you and me to hand out our faith. Do you believe that? The Bible says that. We've read it three or four times already. One generation shall praise your works to another and declare your mighty acts. God has established a proven system for taking our faith, and instilling our faith in the next generation. But if you haven't noticed, this is not happening by and large in America. The Christian faith is not being handed down like it ought to be from one generation to another. Young people are walking away from church in droves. Don't get me wrong, some are doing it, but the sad state of our nation today is that most are not. Most people who call themselves Christians are not passing down their Christianity. Or help, but help but wonder whether or not they have a genuine faith to pass down in the first place. Because when you got Jesus, you got the goods. You got life changing resurrection, Holy Ghost power inside of you. When you got the real thing, you can't bottle that up. You've got to pass that on. Hello? Here's the problem you can't give away something you don't own in the first place. There was a news story in a few hours of Washington, where a family returned home from an extended vacation to find that somebody had broken into their house and had a yard sale and sold all their stuff, even their kitchen appliances. And the news crew interviewed the neighbors and they said, we couldn't believe, we thought we were just the most amazing deal. They were practically giving it away, but they called the guy and he's going to jail for a very, very long time. Why? Because you can't give away something that you don't possess. I think one reason that Americans are not passing down the Christian faith of the next generation is they don't possess Christian faith in the first place. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sticking your head in a bojangles box makes you a biscuit. You have to have a genuine faith that's not just from Sundays from 10 a.m. to a 11 a.m. It's got to be a Monday morning faith and a Friday night faith. Hello? This is a daily walk. Mm-hmm. That's why this generation is walking away from church. They're tired of fake religion. They're tired of watching church people bless God at church and cuts out the waitress at lights. They're tired of fake religion. They're tired of hypocrisy. And listen, this is an opportunity for us. This generation is looking for something real. And the time is coming, and you and I are going to be a part of this, the time is coming when this generation is going to discover what real faith in God is about. Where they're going to discover what it is to have an encounter with the true and living God that has the power to break sin and addiction and bondage and old ways of thinking off of their lives. When that happens, this nation is going to be shaken with the move of God like nothing we've ever seen. I see it coming. The worse things get in the natural, the closer we are to a spiritual awakening in this nation. And that's why God has a plan for the generations. And this is the plan. It's very simple. You get it right, and then you help them get it right. It's as simple as that. It's not complicated. Come on, say it out loud. I get it right. <laughs> and help them get it right. Jesus laid it out for us in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, verse 3 says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the two-by-four in your own eye? Hello. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, when all the time there's a plank in your eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's very important that you pay attention to what Jesus is saying here because Jesus never said don't remove the speck from your brothers. The most common scripture that non-Christians quote is don't judge. <laughs> People misuse and abuse this passage of scripture to say stand about business and don't tell me what to do. And well, that is not the message of Jesus in this passage. And Jesus never said don't help others see the truth. Jesus said, deal with your own issues first, then you'll be able to help other people. He said, take the plank out of your own eyes so you can see how to help them get the sack out of their eye. Because if you don't deal with your own issues, you're going to mess them up. In other words, repent of your sins, then you can help this generation turn away from their sins. Deal with your own issues first, then you can help them with their issues. <laughs> Jesus gives us His plan to reach the next generation. You get it right, then you help them get it right. And we see this very same pattern with the Apostle Paul. Paul wasn't somebody who preached a life that he didn't live. When Paul traveled to a new city to preach the gospel, Paul modeled a godly lifestyle when he was with them. This is so important because when Paul went to Thessalonica, he was very effective at reaching a generation for Jesus. In fact, he was so effective at reaching them and instilling a genuine faith in God that when people around them began to persecute them and attack them for their faith in Jesus, they stood firm in their faith. They were not fair-weather Christians. People were attacking them for faith in Christ, but they remained faithful to the cause. And we're going to reach this generation. We need to understand and learn a little bit from the feet of the Apostle Paul. Paul understood God's plan for the generations. I get it right, that I help them get it right. Paul showed them what it was to live for Jesus. It wasn't just his preaching, it was his living that convinced them. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 2 Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. Our God has witnessed that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. My God. That's nothing new. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead, we were like children among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. This was beyond a Sunday morning relationship. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you night and days we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news to you? You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless towards all of you believers. Paul's reminding them when he and Timothy and Silas were in Thessalonica, they lived out the gospel, sharing their own lives as living witnesses to the power of Jesus. Paul demonstrated that Jesus had changed his life, and that showed the Thessalonians that Jesus could change their lives, too. If you want to make a difference in the world, you've got to be different from the world. You understand that? You can't be sharing Jesus with your co-workers and then laughing at all the dirty jokes, If you want to make a difference in the world, you've got to live differently than the world. That's what Paul did. That's example for you and I. If we want to reach this next generation, we've got to show that there's a better way to live, y'all. There is a better way. You don't have to live a life looking over your shoulder. You can live free of guilt and shame. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Notice what he says in verse 11. He says, for you know that we deal with with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Listen, God is a generational God, and he's calling the church to be a generational church. Paul's relationship with these young people is like that of a father and a child. And I can't help but notice that we are living in a fatherless generation. Twenty-four million children in this nation will go to sleep tonight without a father in their home. Twenty-four million. Children who grow up without a father are four times more likely to grow up in poverty. According to the Center for Epidemiology, children who grow up without a father figure are more than twice as likely to commit suicide. 72% of adolescent murderers and 70% of all long-term prison inmates grew up without fathers in the home. This is a fatherless generation and young people today are being torn apart by the fallout of absent fathers. Maybe you didn't have a father in the home. Maybe you don't have a father in your home. I'm not here to discourage you. I'm here to give you hope because whatever's missing in your physical family, God can more than make up for it with your spiritual family. That thing that's missing in your physical family, God wants to restore to you through your spiritual family. We're living among a fatherless generation and I am convinced that God is calling the church to fill that void. We can't put father in the back in the home, but we can be a father to the fatherless because that's who our God is. Psalm 68, 5 says that our God is the father to the fatherless. That is the heart of God, and that should be our hearts too. Apostle James said that pure and undefiled religion is this, to care for widows and orphans in distress and to keep yourself undefiled for the world. You get it right, I and mean, then you help them get it right. You get your life surrendered and laid on the altar. You make sure that you say a living sacrifice and I not crawl off the altar all the time. You stay on the altar of sacrifice and then God will use you to be a mentor, to be a help, to be a hope to young people who desperately, desperately need it. You have to have real faith in God to care for the fathers. This generation is a generation of physical and spiritual orphans, and it's our duty, our calling, our purpose as believers to care for them as a father cares for his own child. How does the father care for his children? I've come to find out by any means necessary. He does whatever it takes. The father's willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of his children, and we've got to have that kind of heart for this generation. As believers, we should think more about the next generation than we think about us. We have to be willing to give up whatever it takes to reach them. And that means we change the way we do church, or we change the way we dress, or change the style of music. Who cares? Whatever it takes, because we have a heart of the Father for this generation. There is nothing sacred but the Word of God and everything else will change. Those old hymns that you love so much—well, when they first came out, the old folks thought they were worldly. Think about it. Do you know that your favorite solid worship music is connected to when you became a believer? When you came to Christ, whatever was the predominant theme, either overall or in the church that you got saved in, you have a deep connection. Style of music, and that's staying with you. That means that as church folks, we tend to like a certain, one certain style. Amen. I want to blow a trumpet in the sun. That's what like I got to say. I ain't never heard that. Like, what is that? You don't know. I ain't tell you. We cling to What's familiar to us and what we connect with our salvation experience, but God gives every generation their own psalms. If you think about it, you know God preserved all of the psalms of David, but He didn't preserve the sheet music. He could have. You see, the message of worship never changes, but the methods always change because every generation gets their own music and their own style and their own expressions of worship. I'm not expecting you to shout. And junkies and rugs, thinking times on that, but just let it marinate a little bit in your spirit. <laughs> because sacred cows make gourmet burgers. <laughs> we have to be willing to let go of whatever we have to let go of in order to lead this generation to Jesus Christ. Somebody said it, and I'll never forget it. The church will never see revival until we learn to love our children more than our traditions. There will be times when we sacrifice our time, our traditions, our talents, our treasures in order to love this generation. Paul says this. He said, As you know, we exhorted and we comfort and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Three things they did they exhorted, they comforted, and they charged him. What is exhorting? It means to encourage and to motivate. Are you encouraging? And motivating young people, or are you criticizing them? How do we exhort them by telling them that they are somebody, that they matter, that God created them, that they do have a destiny and a purpose, because young people, they are growing up being told that they're an accident, they're a mistake. They're a byproduct of evolution. And if you study the science, listen, the world's leading atheists in the 90s, when they released the human genome project, he said, wait a minute, uh-uh, that cannot have happened by chance. There has to be a God. If he said the science, the evidence is there that God created and designed every one everyone, but that's not what this generation is being called. They need us to exhort them, to encourage them, to let them know that God made them, that they are a divine design, that they are not a mistake, that they have a purpose and a destiny. We exhort them by showing them the love of God. So he exhorted them and then he comforted them. What does comforting mean? Well, it doesn't mean what you think it means because in the Bible, to comfort means to correct. There is great comfort in correction. Remember Psalm 23, by rod and by staff, comfort me. Okay, in modern terms, there's nothing comfortable about a rod and a staff. But biblical comfort means correction. It means hey. You can't do it. You can't live that way. Think of a father teaching a young child how to ride a bike. It's simple correction, never pushing them down, but picking them back up, guiding them in the way that they should go. He said, we exhorted you, we comforted you, and we charged you. What does that mean? I spent all this time, you got to pay up, something, buddy. That's not what that means. Think about it like this: leaving somebody in charge. Charging the next generation means giving them ownership over the ministry. It means giving them the keys and letting them drive the car that you paid for. <laughs> That's comfortable. but God is comforting us to do that. Amen. To charge to make room for the next generation. To love them, to encourage them, to gently correct them, and to empower them. Y'all remember God's presence when you get it right and help them get it right? God is calling us to help this generation, but we've got to get it right first. Listen, we all struggle with hypocrisy at times. That's why it's of the utmost importance that we daily surrender to Jesus and let him work on us. Let the Holy Spirit, it wasn't one of the names of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told him the Comforter. He will abide with us. He will comfort and correct us if we don't harden our hearts to that voice of conviction. But we have to let go of hypocrisy. We have to let go of dead religion. We have to let go of our man made traditions and dead works and open up our hearts to what God wants to do. I'm going to share some statistics with you. And then I'll pray, and we'll get out of here, but I want you to listen to this. The world's population has exceeded 7 billion and is on its way to 8 billion people. Sociologists have said that there are more people alive today than have ever lived. And nearly half of them are under the age of 20. That means that this generation represents the largest single harvest of souls in the history of the world. Jesus said, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Half of the world is under the age of 20. And it gets even better because young people are more open to the gospel of Jesus Christ than any other demographic by far. The Billy Graham Evangelists Association did a survey years ago and found that two out of ten Christians accept Christ after the age of 20. 20%. But seven out of ten Christians accept Christ before they turn 15 Seventy percent. These numbers alone make me want to get involved in kids' ministry. And I ain't worried for kids' ministry. No other age group in the world, no more no other group of people in our city, in your neighborhood, in your family, is more receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ to young people under the age of 15. We have the opportunity to reach more people for Jesus today than ever before. If we don't invest heavily in kids' ministry, we're letting that harvest slip right through our fingers, church. I don't know about you, but I want to be used by God to raise up some young men and young women who are saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit on fire for God, ready to make a difference and reach more people for Jesus. These kids are going to be mighty young men and mighty women of God. Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not deny them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. We're going to reach and train up children and youth in our community. Listen, too many times children and youth get all the churches leftovers. We we do all the nice stuff on the grown-ups who pay all the bills. And the kids get the leftover stuff, the leftover buildings, and the leftover resources, and the leftover broke sound equipment, and the worn out volunteers. <laughs> Not us. We're committing to giving our best to reaching this generation. Another statistic I read is that most Christians share their faith and win one person to Christ their entire life. All of us as believers feel the burden. Share the gospel. We as believers, we know it's at stake. But there's incredible pressure, incredible fear that weighs us down. I have come today to set you free. Because every Sunday, we have between 20 and 70 kids under the age of 14 will soak up the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've been wrestling and struggling with sharing your faith with people, let me tell you, there is a mighty big harvest right down the hallway. The Holy Spirit is stirring somebody up to get involved in kids' ministry. And let me tell you, we need you. We need you. Kids' ministry was our largest ministry by far going into COVID. And right now, our amazing kids' workers are making bricks with no straw right now. They got bags under their eyes. They're, they're crawling out of the kid wing, kids wing. We can and we count because they're weary, but they are still fighting that battle, reaching the next generation. They're looking for some men and women who are brave enough and bold enough to go in there. Listen, if you want to preach the gospel and see people get saved? You'll see that every week back there. I don't know about you, but I've shared Jesus with a whole lot of people, and got a few middle fingers and a whole bunch of "You can go somewhere else." And then you talk about Florida—somewhere <laughs> that's hotter. Not every grown-up receptive to the gospel. I mean, those kids—they have open hearts. That's a great opportunity for you to share the gospel and watch the Holy Spirit use you. Don't miss that opportunity, somebody somebody's. I believe God has stirred up some people. I know that God is getting ready to do some stuff, church. There are some opportunities and some conversations that, that are being had right now about Generation Church that I've never ever anticipated. God is shifting and setting up Himself, but we got to be ready. We've got to be ready to reach kids because the kids are going to be flowing in. We need your help. And you need to be used by God. To share the gospel. When Jesus said, enter into the joy of the Lord, you know who he said that to? People who took what God gave them and reached out their That You want joy? You want freedom in your life? Start telling people about Jesus everywhere oh, you go. I mean, I, I was at Target one day checking out. And uh, the, the, this lady, the, the cashier, was saying, You know, I can't wait to go to Chick fil A. I was like, Oh, yeah, that's Jesus ticking. That's good stuff, <laughs> boy. That's shut that conversation. <laughs> We got a whole bunch of kids. they one of us is Jesus' city. <laughs> give me some secrets. and tell me about Jesus. We feed the kids breakfast every Sunday and we don't give them spiritual food. But anyway, I'm going to close in prayer and let the Lord be with you all that. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and pray this morning. i want to ask Pastor Yarine to come and close out the service today as a praise team and worship team. If you guys will come this morning. Today's an instrumental day. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I can feel that God is doing some preparations this morning, so just open up your heart to the Holy Spirit and listen to Him speak to you today. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to gather in your name, Lord God. I just pray that you stirred up some hearts this morning, Lord God, that you've touched some people, Lord God, that you're uh, just lonely through folks this morning, Heavenly Father. And Lord God, as that kid's name, I, I know people choose churches over children's church, Lord God. So I just pray that you just build up those workers back there, those volunteers, everyone who goes in that back section, Lord God. I pray for every single person back there, Lord God, who is raising up this next generation, Lord God. And I pray for every single person in here right now, Lord God, that is that is struggling right now, Lord god that is that doesn't know their next step, that doesn't know where they're going, Lord God. I just want to just pray for them right now, Lord. And I just want to, and we're gonna say a prayer right now. And I just want to pray for every single person who's struggling with that. If you've never given your life to Christ, here is your chance. Uh, we're going to say a prayer to give your life to Christ right now. Uh, if you feel like you've been struggling and you haven't been worshiping God the way that you should, we're going to say a prayer for you, too, you can join in in this prayer. And if you feel like, you know what, you just feel like praying, this is a prayer for you, that's what's great about this salvation prayer, is no matter where you are on your walk with Jesus, it's for you. So please repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe in you save me and set me free forgive me of my sins be the lord of my life and with your help I'll live for you the rest of my life in your name I pray amen amen if that was your first time praying that this morning please write it on your red cards put it